You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today we're bringing you an episode from Icons, where listeners are introduced to incredible people working within the law enforcement community who have made a profound impact in our world. These one-on-one interviews provide insight into their lives and careers so we can better understand their challenges and recognize their bravery, commitment, and sacrifice. Black Trailblazers in Blue honors the service and sacrifice of Black law enforcement officers throughout history and highlights some of the key individuals who have made a significant mark on the history of Black law enforcement and law enforcement in general. Black History Month is the perfect opportunity to highlight and celebrate some of the great achievements of Black law enforcement figures. Today, we want to take a special look at three crucial women in Black law enforcement history. Not only were they the first Black women to make their unique mark on the field of law enforcement, but in some cases, they were the first women ever to be in their role. So join me now as we celebrate these incredibly notable women today. First, let me introduce you to Georgia Ann Robinson. In 1916, she was the first Black female police officer to be hired by the LAPD, and history suggests that she is actually the first Black female police officer to ever serve in the United States. Georgia Ann Robinson was born in Louisiana on May 12, 1879, and she was raised first by an older sister and then eventually grew up in a convent. When she turned 18, she moved to Kansas to work as a governess, and it was there that she met a man named Morgan Robinson. The two married and eventually moved together, first to Colorado and then finally to Los Angeles, California. The couple moved to Los Angeles around the time of the United States' entry into the First World War. With many American men now shipping off overseas to join the fight, police departments were seeing a shortage in their ranks and reach out to their communities for help. The LAPD was no different. A devoted public servant in her community, Robinson was approached by an LAPD recruiter in 1916, and she signed on with the department, first as a volunteer and then eventually becoming a fully-fledged officer in 1919. At the time she was hired, there were very strict requirements for becoming a policewoman. The applicant had to be between the ages of 30 and 44, she needed to be married, and she had to hold a degree in either education or nursing. At the time she was hired as a policewoman, Robinson was 36 years old, married, and had a degree in nursing, so she met all of these requirements. Her first post with the LAPD was as a jail matron. Jail matrons were historically the first role for women in law enforcement, and in the late 19th and 20th century, they've typically fulfilled the role of a modern social worker. They were tasked with caring primarily for the needs of female inmates and delinquent children that were brought into station houses, whether they were put under arrest or just homeless and in need of assistance. They would work in the jails and police stations like male police officers in the department. However, they did not have arresting powers. But eventually, Robinson would go on to do standard police work outside of the jail setting. The LAPD saw the hiring of Black women as a type of police reform because they could deal better with Black female offenders. Robinson found herself working in many juvenile and homicide cases, as well as these cases involving Black women. In many instances, instead of arresting the women and girls she encountered on the job, Robinson would often send them to social services. And it was Robinson's passion for children and women's welfare that heavily influenced her role in the LAPD and the community at large. 
She would often allow wayward youth that she encountered to temporarily stay in her own home until they could find necessary assistance, and her work helped to establish a much-needed women's shelter, aptly named the Sojourner Truth Home, in Los Angeles. And while, as a policewoman, Robinson was paid for her work, due to limitations placed on policewomen at the time, she succeeded in her career despite not being issued a gun, handcuffs, or a police car. Unfortunately, Georgia Ann Robinson's law enforcement career was cut short in 1928 when she was blinded by an inmate while performing duties as a jail matron, which forced her to leave police work behind. However, she did continue her work with the Sojourner Truth Home and successfully expanded her community outreach when she ultimately partnered with the NAACP in the fight to desegregate the Los Angeles school system. Robinson also maintained a positive perspective on her experience as a law enforcement officer, despite her career's rather sudden and tragic end. She was quoted by reporters at the time, saying that she did not regret her time in law enforcement or the incident that left her blind. For Robinson, being a law enforcement officer was about the community she served over all else. Georgia Ann Robinson's role as the first Black female police officer helped to pave the way for more Black women to serve in law enforcement. Women like Arva Marie Johnson, who was the first Black female officer to serve with the Capitol Police here in Washington, D.C., and the second figure we're going to talk about today. In Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol Police are responsible for the protection and safety of the members of our country's legislative bodies, as well as the three to five million annual visitors who stop by the U.S. Capitol building. Until 1974, only men could serve with the Capitol Police, but among those first female applicants to the force was 24-year-old recruit Arva Marie Johnson. She was one of only four female officers in the inaugural class, and she became not only the first Black woman to join the Capitol Police Force, but she was also the first woman in uniform. The other female officers in her class served as plainclothes officers. During her tenure as a Capitol Police officer, Johnson saw and actively participated in many drastic changes in security at our government's legislative center. When she first began as an officer in the mid-1970s, X-ray machines and metal detectors for security screenings were still a figment of science fiction. Johnson and her fellow officers performed safety screenings by personally hand-searching bags of all visitors and staff that passed through the Capitol's doors. But after a bombing of the U.S. Capitol building in 1983 and the shooting deaths of two fellow Capitol Police officers, Jacob J. Chestnut Jr. and Detective John M. Gibson in 1998, as well as the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, security at the U.S. Capitol was drastically tightened. Johnson received sophisticated and intense training in chemical and bomb identification and watched firsthand as the Capitol Police Force became a leading anti-terrorism organization. Arva Marie Johnson watched the U.S. Capitol Police grow and change during her time on the force, and she spearheaded efforts to reform internal policies, especially to the greater benefit of both female and minority officers. She was an inaugural member of the U.S. Capitol Black Police Association, which was formed to give a unifying voice for minority officers, especially for career advancement. And she and her colleagues successfully overhauled the force's existing promotion process during the 1990s. 
Johnson retired from the Capitol Police in 2007 after a 32-year with the agency, but during her time as an officer, she was greatly respected by her colleagues and legislators alike. One congressman said, she's the kind of person that you would want your whole department to be like. While reminiscing about her career, she said, if I was young again and could do it, I would come here and work. Yes, it's a good opportunity, and knowing what I know, I would come back. But just as crucial as the role of Black female officers is to law enforcement history is the importance of Black women in our judicial system. So before we leave you this week, we want to take you back in time to meet our final figure, Constance Baker Motley, a celebrated figure in both the civil rights movement and American judicial system at large. So Constance Baker Motley was born on September 14, 1921, in New Haven, Connecticut, and she was the ninth of 12 children born to immigrant parents from the Caribbean island of Nevis. Born into a tradition of public service and a passion for justice, her mother was one of the founding members of the New Haven NAACP, and she introduced Constance and her siblings to African-American history and the writings of scholars like W.E.B. Du Bois from a very young age. Motley's desire to practice law came early through her activism as the president of the New Haven Negro Youth Council and secretary of the New Haven Adult Community Council, all before she graduated from Hill House High School with honors in 1939. Without the financial means to proceed immediately to college, Motley worked with the National Youth Administration and continued her involvement within her community. Through this work, she met businessman and philanthropist Clarence W. Blakesley, who saw her great potential and offered to pay for her education. Motley attended Fisk University, a historically black college in Nashville, Tennessee, but then transferred north to newly integrated NYU, where she earned her Bachelor of Arts in 1943, before then pursuing her Bachelor of Laws in 1946 from Columbia Law School. It was during her second year at Columbia Law School that she was hired by future Supreme Court Associate Justice Thurgood Marshall as a law clerk assigned to work on court-martial cases filed after World War II. Upon her graduation from Columbia Law School, Motley was hired as the first female civil rights lawyer to serve the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. It was there that she acted as a trial attorney for cases that involved Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Freedom Riders. She visited firebombed churches and even experienced a night with civil rights activist Medgar Evers under armed guard. But in 1950, it was Motley who wrote the original complaint in the case of Brown versus Board of Education. Motley was also the first African-American woman to argue a case in front of the Supreme Court during Meredith versus Fair when she won James Meredith's effort to become the first Black student to attend the University of Mississippi in 1962. On January 26 of 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson appointed Motley to a seat on the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, and her appointment was confirmed on August 30, 1966, making Motley the first African-American female federal judge. Throughout her appointment, she served as the Chief Justice from 1982 to 1986 and then assumed senior status on September 30, 1986. Her service to the court ended on September 28, 2005, with her death in New York City. And the contributions of these women to the field of law enforcement and American justice system remain crucial for breaking barriers for women of color in the field today. Even when officers of color and female officers remain two distinct minorities in the profession, 
We hope that you enjoyed this special Black Trailblazers in Blue episode of Icons. Join us later this month as we share more of these stories and more content during Black History Month. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the precinct. Thank you.